0: She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes.
1: If you have any information regarding Mora's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray Family, through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit.
0: This is Missing Mora Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Mora Murray podcast. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space studios. Lance, how goes it?
1: It's going very well. How are you today?
0: Oh, I'm well. Good. And uh, this episode is actually an episode of True Crime Twins, which is hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. Of course, you know Chloe from Crawl Space, and we've been working with her for several years. New mom. New mom. That's right. Congrats, Chloe and Melina, because she's a new aunt. But they uh, they have their own spinoff podcast called True Crime Twins, and they're they're four episodes deep right now, and this is their last episode that they did. It's on Alyssa Turney, the disappearance of Alyssa Turney from Phoenix, Arizona, and they speak with Sarah Turney, Alyssa's sister.
1: That's correct. Sarah Turney is a force to be reckoned with. She is an advocate for her sister's disappearance. She has put herself uh, her. Personal life, uh, her professional life, everything is at stake because uh, if you look into Alyssa's disappearance, if you listen to the excellent Missing Alyssa podcast, that's a free plug right there for you. Um, if you look into uh, w- the circumstances of Alyssa Turney and her father, Michael Turney, what Sarah's doing is extremely rare nowadays and the first time I ever met her, I was she was like a superhero to me. I, I sort of felt like I wasn't worthy of being in the same room as her. But she, you, you weren't. I wasn't. Yeah, no, you're but, still not. <laughs> but she's a uh, she's she's an amazing advocate for her sister's disappearance, despite the fact that she knows how much damage it could probably uh, cause in her own life. And she just keeps moving forward. And uh, what's very inspiring as well is uh, how much support. Everyone out there, all the listeners, give. She's got a ridiculous following right now, and it's only a matter of time.
0: That's right, and actually there's a new petition that was launched um, to demand Michael Turney be, be prosecuted for— What a uh, great segue. Yeah, so check that out. There's a link in the show notes. But also wanted to let you know about the American Crime Festival that's happen- happening in Wildwood, New Jersey, November 8th, 9th, and 10th, 2019. And Sarah Turney is going to be there, Lance, doing a presentation on her missing sister, Alyssa, and we do have the the good doctors of L.A. Not So Confidential podcast, which is they recently joined the uh,
1: the growing CrawlSpace network. The growing CrawlSpace network, which you can view now on the completely revamped CrawlSpace website, CrawlSpace Media dot com. And uh, if you are interested in having a podcast on our network or you have an idea or you want to just say hello, feel free to contact us through that. You mentioned the American Crime Festival. That is a festival that we are co-organizing with the company that brought you Unsolved Magazine, PI Magazine, PI Gear. It's uh, James Nanos and Nicole Cusinelli, and they have uh, teamed up with us to put this on quick list of some of the presenters, Tim. It's it's incredibly exciting. We have Todd Matthews, in yes. addition to Sarah Turney, and and uh, Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott from LA Not So Confidential.
0: Yeah, they're doing the, the panel together.
1: They're doing the panel together, and in addition to that, we have Todd Matthews, who is the uh, one of the founders of NamUs and an advocate for uh, the missing and, and unnamed uh, victims that are out there. He uh, was the original cyber sleuth. Yeah, that's right. He found the identity of Tent Girl. We have Stephen Lampley. We have Gemma Hoskins of The Keepers.
0: Yeah, and uh, and we do have a Missing Brianna Maitland presentation with Bruce Maitland. And we also have a Brandon Lawson session where uh, Jason Watts, I believe, is coming from Texas to New Jersey to be a part of
1: that. And our main event is Aphrodite Jones and Larry Pollard. They are going to be discussing the owl theory in the Michael Peterson case. That's going to be the Thunderdome of the entire uh, convention in Wildwood, New Jersey, the Wildwood Convention Center, November 8th, 9th, and 10th. And you
0: better be there. It's going to be amazing. Go to AmericanCrimeFest.com. There are links in the show notes. The schedule has been posted. Check it out, and we will see you there. And so thank you very much for listening to this episode and make sure to subscribe to true crime twins and make sure to check out Sarah's new podcast voices for justice links in the show notes. Thank you very much.
2: You are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is produced by Crawlspace Media. Welcome back to True Crime Twins. This is Melina here, one half of the twin duo. I'm Chloe. Thanks for listening. The case that we are covering today is the disappearance of Alyssa Turney. She was 17 at the time of her disappearance, and she was last seen in Phoenix, Arizona on May 17, 2001. It was the last day of her junior year, and she was picked up early from school by her adopted stepdad, Michael Turney. He was the last person to see her alive. According to him, they got into an argument after having lunch. He gave her space, and he returned to find her room a mess, and she had left behind her cell phone and a note saying she ran away to live in California. Michael stated that about a week later, he received a mysterious phone call from a payphone in California, allegedly from Alyssa, claiming that she said something to the effect of, leave me alone, and hung up. The circumstances behind this disappearance are very suspicious, but due to the fact that it was considered a runaway case, Alyssa was not taken very seriously. Today, we talk to Alyssa's sister, Sarah, who believes that her father had a more sinister role in Alyssa's disappearance after finding evidence that Michael had likely sexually molested Alyssa from a young age. Sarah has made it her life's mission to get justice for her sister. Here's Sarah talking about what her sister was like.
3: So Alyssa was that stereotypical mean older sibling, to be totally honest. Um. I would love to say that we got along and we were best friends, um, but we fought all the time. She was four years older and I wanted to be like her so much. And I annoyed the crap out of her. Um, and when she would do things like ditch school, I would blackmail her and ask her for something out of her room. Um, and we, we fought a lot. Um, I mean, we had our moments, of course, where she would paint my nails or do my hair and all those wonderful things. Um, but yeah, we, we really fought. And she was, um, she was so cool to me. Um When she left, you know, I I kept all all her clothes and I wore them until they died. And it it was just everything I wanted to be. Um, She was so kind and charismatic and she loved cute things like um, Blue's Clues and Hello Kitty and Rainbow Bright and um, all those really fun things. She was just happy to be around. um, But in my eyes, just the coolest person ever listening to Eminem and Marilyn Manson and Tool. Sarah has clearly been devastated
2: by Alyssa being gone and talks about what she missed out on and what Alyssa would be doing if she were here today. When things happen in life, I think about her all the time. Um,
3: Like, I don't have kids yet, but it makes me so sad to think that I couldn't have her there for that or that she never had a chance to have babies. I mean, she wanted them so bad. You know, she was that um, typical 16-year-old that talked about having babies all the time. Um, And it's all those, I I know, right? Every 16-year-old thinks that they're ready for... 12 kids. Um, But yeah, it's all those things, thinking about um, her not being there, you know, when I graduated college. um, It it makes all those moments just a little bit sad.
2: What did Sarah think Alyssa would be doing today?
3: She worked at Jack in the Box, so I doubt that. (laughs) But probably something just helping people or um, using her charisma. I mean, she could have been an excellent bartender or something amazing, where she just interacts with people all the time. Or A teacher with little kids. I mean, I think just something where she used her personality
2: um, because it was amazing. Sarah recalls the day Alyssa went missing, May seventeenth, two 2001, to the best of her ability. That day, I
3: was on a field trip. It was the last day of seventh grade for me and the last day of her junior year in high school. And we were at a water park all day and um, the buses came and he wasn't there. And I walked home with a friend, which was super normal. I walked to their house all the time. It was right around the corner from the school. Um, and we like to get in trouble together. We were just at that age and um, we were smoking cigarettes. And the thing is, when I spoke to the police originally, I guess I told them it was around seven or eight o'clock at night, but now it seems like it, it wasn't that long. Um, so I wish I could really tell you a better time frame, but I just can't remember that clearly enough. But um, I, I like to think now that it's still like around um, like five. I just don't think it was that long that I was at their house. But I'm um, He picked me up. And the first thing he said was, your sister's not answering the phone. Can you try to call her? And he handed me his cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. And I called her a few times. I don't know how many. Um, And it rang. And I believe, you know, I'm not sure if I left a voicemail, but I know it was ringing. And um, we drove right to the house. And I can't remember who walked in the house first, but I walked in her room first. And her backpack was dumped all over the ground, which was weird because she was very, very neat. Um, and then I saw the cell phone on her dresser and the note was right next to the cell phone.
2: At first, the note didn't alarm Sarah much. Um, I
3: mean, at first it didn't raise any red flags to me. You know, it says, um, something to the effect of dad and Sarah, when you dropped me off at school today, I decided I really am going to California. Um, Sarah, you wanted me gone. Now you have it dad. That's why I saved my money. Um, I took $300 from you, Alyssa. But yeah, now that I look into it as an adult and with this different, you know, frame of mind, it's very alarming. And I have a lot of different theories about the note. So, I mean, it says, Dad, that's why I saved my money. And she's speaking about the $1,800 that was in her bank account. And that was never touched. Um, She never took that money. There was never an ATM withdrawal or any type of camera or surveillance showing that she went to the bank. I mean, she never touched it. In addition, that said, Dad, um, I took $300 from you. And those lines now just don't make any sense to me. So she saved up this $1,800 that she didn't touch to only take $300 that would potentially get her in a lot of trouble. So I don't know, it it seems to me also, when you look at the structure of the actual physical writing, and again, you know, I always say, like, I I might be getting way too into this. um, But, you know, I've had a lot of time to think about it. And the structure of the entire note is very neat. And the way she wrote was very beautiful. Again, I wanted to be just like her. And so I thought it was so cool that she could write so neat. And it looked almost like it was written, you know, with a ruler. But that last line, Dad, I took $300 from you, really kind of veered off. So that just seems kind of odd. Like maybe she had written the first part at a different moment in time. And later on, he had maybe asked her to write that. Um, So he could say, oh, well, she didn't touch the $1,800 in her bank account. But,
2: you know, I can tell you she took $300 from me cash. Something super suspicious about Michael Turney's behavior was that he set constant video and audio surveillance in the house inside and outside, as well as telephone surveillance in their home. At the time, Sarah didn't think much of it. She had a lot of surveillance on her. He would go to
3: see her at work to make sure she was there, um, check up on her every chance that he could. There was um, a camera inside the house, inside of the vent that I later found out about, and there were cameras outside of the house. Um, But yeah, of course, how could a teenage girl live in that environment? I mean, when she left, I made him take the camera out of the vent, and he did happily. Like, he gave me... This, you know, spy gadgety device that's like a camera detector that basically beeps when there's a camera around. Um, And he says here, so you know that I'm not spying on you. He knew that it was crazy, and he didn't do it to me. He only did it to her. Like he wanted it to be totally normal, which I kind of thought it was. I mean, that was the environment I grew up in. You know, especially like the outside cameras raised no alarms to me. You know, it was kind of cool to me to be able to look at somebody at the front door, Um, but then. The camera in the vent. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Um, but I thought he was just going to extreme measures to check up on Alyssa because she was so troubled in his eyes, you know. And at that point, I wasn't doing all the experimenting that normal teenagers do. I was kind of on that cusp, you know, seventh grade. I was twelve, about to turn thirteen. Um, it was that summer that she left that I really started exploring all those things. Um, so up to that point, I thought that smoking weed and drinking was pretty bad. Was Alyssa
2: aware of the home surveillance?
3: I don't think so. I think she would have freaked out and they would have it would have been a huge fight, you know, because they fought all the time. It's not as if she didn't fight back against these things. Um, so I think that she would have raised a, a huge upset over that. So
2: I don't think so. Despite Michael's meticulous surveillance, footage from the most crucial moments are conveniently missing. We had cameras on the outside of the house and he was never, never
3: able to produce that video, And he gives two different stories. He said that there was nothing on it and he erased it. And he said that the cameras weren't on. Um, She also called a week later, which I'm sure we'll get into. And the passive recording system on the phone that had been there for 30 years that record every single phone call going in and out was also mysteriously
2: not on. This is obviously unnerving. Even more unnerving is that Sarah seemed to be in the dark about how dysfunctional Alyssa's and Michael's relationship was. Alyssa kept a lot of hurt and pain from Sarah, even protecting her. Back
3: then, I didn't think I had anything to be protected from, to be totally honest. Um, But now, yeah, I can't imagine the conversations that would go on or I don't know, you know, if that was happening. I wonder if she did say, if you do this to Sarah, I will do A, B and C. I, I don't know. It was um, in particular when a friend came forward with some letters where Alyssa was talking about what the environment was like in the house and how she didn't want to be separated from me, um, you know, by protective services, you know, the government agencies that would come in and um, take kids who were in that type of environment, of course. But I had no idea. And that weighs on me. Um, I'm fortunate that I, I didn't know a lot of these things because I don't have a lot of this guilt. But one thing that really guilts me is I feel like she did stay for me. And it hurts, I mean, to think about that she endured the abuse because she didn't want to tell anybody because she thought that we would both be taken by CPS because that's what he told her again and again. I mean, and, and the thoughts go even further that, like, what if my
2: dad killed her
3: to also protect me from going to CPS?
2: For a very long time, Sarah was in denial that her father could have had anything to do with her sister's disappearance. So as you said, for a long time, I believe that he was innocent because I
3: did think he was cool. He was the dad that would give your friends a ride or come give them gas money if they ran out of gas. And um, I was, you know, the person, our house was where everybody wanted to be. There was always really good snacks and we had, you know, the latest gaming system and all the soda. And that's just the way I grew up. And um, it it escalated into him buying us beer and stuff like that. Um, So I thought he was really cool and I thought that was his Best way of being kind to me, knowing that he couldn't raise me because of his mental illness, um, and I thought it was a kindness, but now I see it as obviously just really horrible parenting and just being completely sick. Yeah, boundaries, absolutely. I mean, he would tell me all the time, "I'm just so sorry for your life," um, you know, and give me a couple hundred bucks to go to the mall, and we didn't grow, we didn't make any money. Like he was on social security and disability and made forty thousand dollars a year. And he would give me $500 to go to the mall because he was sorry about my life. Um, so I just thought he genuinely loved me and was sick. Um, and I never could imagine that he would do anything this horrible. Like, there was even a story growing up that he had killed a cat in the neighborhood because it was like giving other cats rabies. And I couldn't even believe that. Um so yeah, one day the 2020 came out and I'm on there and I'm talking about him being innocent and about all the things I'm doing to kind of prove his innocence. And, um, I'm kind of hit in the face with reality, um, which isn't what it felt like at the time, but slowly over time, everything in the special started to make more sense. And there were a bunch of interviews that were aired on that show, including one from my brother that talk about sexual abuse and, um, Slowly over time, I just started to open up to it more. The police also really heavily pushed it on me. Um, I was going back through emails, and there's just a a ton where they would, like, they sent me the entire interview transcript from ABC 2020, and they're like, there's some disturbing things in here you probably want to read. So they were trying to tell me the whole time, and so was the whole world, and it just took me a little bit of time to come around.
2: To get more insight into Michael's mental state, we ask Sarah what she remembers about any mental health diagnoses.
3: I mean, his whole life he had gone, um, he was under
2: psychiatric treatment, which is
3: kind of amazing when you think about it. And he had gone to the same doctor for 15 years. And sometimes Alyssa and I would sit in the room with them. The doctor had talked to Alyssa and I and said that we needed to be kinder to him um, because he had, yeah, um, because he had depression. Um, I mean, I remember doing everything I could. I would, you know, at 15, make him a collage of Elvis to make him happy. I bought him a book, you know, a thousand and one things to be happy about. It was just like kind of my mission to make him happy. Um, and he would lay in bed, you know, day after day. And I would bring him, you know, his Marie Callender's microwave chicken pot pie, um, in bed, nothing gourmet, but, um, I would kind of take care of him at times when he was really, really bad and make sure that he was eating and give him a hug and a kiss and tell him I love him. And, um, yeah, so I mean, it was mainly depression. I knew that he was paranoid um, and kind of kooky. You know, He talked about the government my whole life and Agent Orange, and, you know, honestly, some things that are true, um like Agent Orange and um, so yeah, I knew that he was a conspiracy theorist, but it didn't ever seem that out of whack. I believe now I've heard that it's also like schizophrenia and bipolar.
2: Perhaps these paranoid traits come into play with Michael's grudge against the union that he used to be part of. What's more difficult to explain is the plan that Michael made to get revenge by bombing the union, which sounds more like a way to explain Alyssa's death and take the blame away from himself. My entire life, um,
3: it was the union and what the union had done to him and how the union had fired him three weeks before his wife died of cancer and how they harassed him and phone calls came to the house and how they tried to kill him at one point. So, yeah, I had heard about it my whole life. So um, he did come out and say that there were two gentlemen um, who killed Alyssa, and that's why he was getting his revenge on them. That's why he was going through this plot. And what's crazy about that story is that um, when they searched the house, they found a social security card um, with a name that... Just slightly varied from the gentleman who had actually, um, he, he said that he'd killed. So he said that these two gentlemen killed Alyssa and he took revenge on them by killing them. They took him out into the middle of the desert and shot them or something to that effect. Um, and when they raided the house, they found a social security card that had said um, a very close variation of one of the gentlemen that he said that he killed. However, when the police looked it up, those two guys had died of natural causes, but they were real people. It's hard because he goes back and he flip-flops and he says, yes, I killed those guys. No, I didn't kill those guys. It was just a story. Um, and of course, he likes to change the subject very fast when you
2: bring it up. Um, but it's it's hard to tell. While Michael is clearly paranoid, even delusional, he is still a force to be reckoned with due to his intelligence.
3: Um, He's extremely intelligent. And yeah, I mean, my whole life he was reading law books. Um, He'd always pushed me to read. It's insane. He's very charming and he's very intelligent and he's very manipulative.
2: Even so, things fall through the cracks, even on national TV.
3: With the 2020, um, the whole family found out right then when we watched the show that he had taken her out of school early. We had no idea. Um, And if you look at the show, my brother Rhett's on there um, and he's saying, I didn't know he took her out of school early that day. Why would he take her out early? We had no idea. He didn't talk about it. Um, He just said, you know, somebody probably took her and it was probably the union. And he was always fearful for her safety, but he never went into it much more than that.
2: What is Michael's alibi and reasoning for picking her up so early from school?
3: So he says that he was running errands, um, apparently five or six hours worth of errands. Um, I know that at one point the podcast uh, Missing Alyssa talks about that he was shopping for a camera lens, but I'm not sure where that story came from. He had always just told me errands. So he says that he picked her up early from school. Um, and he says now that he did that because she was fighting with her boyfriend and she was trying to avoid this boyfriend that she also said goodbye to before the end of the school day. Like made a special point to stop into his separate class, pop her head in and say, bye, see you later. Um, so he says that he was trying to avoid, avoid him and that he picked her up early. They um, had lunch. We don't know if they ate somewhere or took it home. And apparently during lunch, they got in a big fight um, to which he left Alyssa alone at the house and he went to go run these errands.
2: So fast forward to Michael Turney being released from prison from the domestic terrorism attempt against the union. Sarah meets with him at a local Starbucks where the two have an unsettling conversation. He told me that um, he
3: would tell me everything or no, he literally used the word confess. He would confess to everything if um, the state agreed to give him lethal injection within 10 days of the confession. And then he also told me um, that he would give me all the honest answers I want on his deathbed.
2: Based on that conversation, we can truly see how evasive and manipulative Michael truly is. He was trying to be extremely intimidating and like, you know,
3: talk through his teeth and tried to lean closer to me and raise his voice a little. And yeah, and I'm like, man, like I'm 28 at the time. Like, I'm not afraid of you and you don't scare me. And to me, he's just so, so pathetic. And, you know, the guy that I once looked up to that honestly taught me right from wrong, you know, his, my whole life, it was, this isn't right. And you shouldn't treat people this way. And the world is not a just place. And you need to know that. And it kind of worked against him. Um, it's hard. I don't know what I would say to him. It's, it's like, it's not even worth it. Um, but if I could come up with some type of magical phrase. They would really just stick it to him. I wish I could. But yeah, I mean, he said things like, oh, you and Alyssa were really that close, huh? Like, just like really horrible things. And he continues to lie. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like when he speaks with the, the producer of the podcast, she's like, well, why did you treat them so different? Like Sarah went to school two days a week. And he's like, that's a lie. Sarah tries to say that she's a bad kid. She wants to sell a book. But like I missed 48 days in one semester and he she finally breaks him down and he's like, OK, so what is that? Give me a black mark in parenting because I let her skip school. Like, It's just it's infuriating. Like he he just plays the total victim and it's ridiculous. Sarah carries
2: a terrible burden. Here's how you can help her. She has created an online petition imploring the DA's office to prosecute Michael Turney for Alyssa's death. You can sign it today. So if you go to any one of my social medias, really, it's usually in the
3: link, um, in the link somewhere. My Instagram in particular, Justice for Alyssa, it is always the bio link. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah E. Turney. Um, And we also have a Facebook group, Help Find Alyssa Turney. So any one of those sources, we can get you over the link if it's not um, really easy to find. But it is all over the place. Thank goodness.
2: It seems pretty obvious that Michael committed this murder. What is holding the police back from doing anything about it?
3: You know, and they say, you know, the fear is double jeopardy, Sarah. If if we get him and we later find a body, you know, we can't try him twice. And I'm like, great. Are you going to look for a body? And they say no. Um, so it's it's really frustrating. And, you know, I told them, I said, if we try him and we lose and he goes free, we are in the exact same spot we are now. I would like to try. You've dedicated 10 years of resources to this. Let's finish it up. And in, in his bond case, he fired his lawyer and represented himself and he's a loose cannon. like if if we can just actually interview him because the police have never interviewed him, they've never been able to get an interview. and they said that he's acted he's um enacted his Miranda rights so they can no longer even ask him for an interview. So they're not trying to find a body. They're not trying to interview him. They tell me that we need a body or that we need a witness. And if they had actually, Investigated this thing in 2001, we'd probably have one of those. So I can't take that as an answer. Like, because they didn't want to act for seven years and we lost evidence, we have to pay for that now? Absolutely not. Like, he's dangerous. He is a domestic terrorist. Like, are you kidding? What are you waiting for? The
2: last thing we ask Sarah is how she can live with all of this ugliness and
3: sadness on a daily basis i get i get that all the time like how are you so normal um and it's just like it's it's sink or swim like if if i didn't fight i would just be sad so i might as well channel that energy into hopefully something that
0: actually gets justice for alyssa we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program.
2: I want to unpack a couple of things, starting with what she's described about Michael Turney's mental health. Both of us have a psych background, so I feel like it could be a good contribution to the discussion of this case to sort of break this down a little bit. Sarah said that Michael Turney has been formally diagnosed with two conditions, Depression and schizophrenia. So, when we talk about precursors to criminal behavior, to violence, to delinquency, these disorders don't always go this direction. A lot of the times they don't. I think that, particularly schizophrenia, because it's a psychotic disorder, when it's poorly understood, people can just assume that it leads to dangerous behavior. It doesn't always a lot of people that are schizophrenic never harm another person in their lives But when you have the paranoid element of schizophrenia when your psychosis, you know, which consists of either hallucinations delusions or catatonia Hallucinations are seeing hearing feeling smelling things that aren't there. You actually experience uh, an erroneous stimuli delusions are essentially false beliefs that despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary you believe that perception is your reality so delusions can kind of present themselves in a number of ways in this case we're seeing a lot of paranoia he believes that he's constantly in danger so that can kind of explain why he would surveil everything not just as a control method of his family but Based off of what happened and what he got arrested for later in life, he felt that some sort of attack on him is imminent. Yes, and I believe what you're referring to is his later arrest. He was never formally charged with anything regarding the Alyssa attorney case, but in December 2008, police executed a search warrant on his home looking for evidence in Alyssa's case, but instead they found 19 high caliber assault rifles, two handmade silencers, A van filled with gasoline cans and 26 handmade explosive devices filled with roofing nails and gunpowder. Wow. They also found a manifesto written by Michael Turney. It was 98 pages called Diary of a Madman Martyr. If you hear about this document, you know that it's filled with paranoid ideation regarding the international brotherhood of electrical workers otherwise referred to as the union he attributes all of these negative intentions to the union and actually went as far as accusing them of being behind Alyssa's abduction and murder and having buried her in desert center california so the union doesn't even know that michael Turney exists Mm -hmm. basically um and he has all these ideas about them and that's where the delusions of persecution comes into play he's convinced of this And he's plotting against them. And I guess was able to convince himself in his deluded state that these people are also responsible for something that he did. He was going to blow up the Union Hall in revenge for all of their wrongdoing or all of their the wrongdoing that he perceived. And the police actually might have stopped him just in time before he caused any serious harm with what he had had in his arsenal He was certainly capable of causing severe harm and fatalities. They found the weapons on December 11th. The next meeting at the Union Hall was scheduled for December 15th. This arrest and the circumstances of the arrest, I feel very much align with the diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia. The surveilling of his home, the recording of all of his phone calls... When you listen to the interview with um, him and Sarah, the informal recorded interview of the two of them at Starbucks, you can tell that his thought process is a little bit disorganized. And that's another element of schizophrenia that you'll see. When I say disorganized, it's not in the typical way where you, you know, your your purse or your your desk is a mess. It's your brain is not working in a linear manner. And that will show in the way that you process things in the way that you speak. You basically go off on tangents you can't stay focused right and people that are schizophrenic are able to maintain a level of higher intelligence so you see that he's also a very calculating person he tries to manipulate the direction of conversation he tries to make himself out to be a victim there's a lot there that's not just a result of his paranoia and a result of his disorganization He also has some issues just with his character and with his personality. I could definitely see a personality disorder just when you said manipulate and make the conversation go his own way and being the victim, that all screams personality disorder. So yeah, and he's very controlling. So for people that don't know, what is a personality disorder? Personality disorder is characterized by having several traits that are considered maladaptive or abnormal kind of represents your core beliefs and values. You have thoughts and behaviors that are inflexible and unhealthy, and those thoughts and that way of thinking, that way of processing information can make you act in a way that's really unhealthy, and it usually results in damaged relationships beyond repair. There are a lot of different personality disorders. Um, an example of one is antisocial personality disorder, which is characterized by a reckless disregard for the rights of others. These are people that are callous, cruel. They demonstrate a, a very telltale sign is having a conduct disorder as a child, where you break the rules often. You're cruel to animals, to people. It's the bully type, and You know, not everyone with conduct disorder grows up to have antisocial personality disorder, but to be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, you need to have a marked history of conduct disorder as a child. So that's where you'll see the serial killers, people that are capable of severe cruelty towards other people. What is another term to describe antisocial personality disorder? So people that have the disorder are called sociopaths or psychopaths. These terms are actually different as well. They're used interchangeably pretty frequently. A sociopath is someone that has these symptoms because of the way that they were raised or the way that they were treated. You see a lot of child abuse in these people's histories. Psychopaths, those are people that have these symptoms just because it's how they are innately in their brain. You hear kind of being born bad. That's sort of what a psychopath is. Psychopaths tend to be more conniving, more successful. They're able to imitate human emotion a lot better. They're able to be successful in careers. Like I said, not all killers are socio or psychopaths and not all psycho or sociopaths are killers. You'll see psychopaths that are extremely successful in the workforce, for instance. They later become CEOs because of the reckless disregard for other people's feelings sociopaths are the ones that are more likely to live on the fringes of society. They're more likely to be unable to imitate human emotion, human relationships. They are loner types. They sort of have a schizoid personality type or they're just odd. They come off as disorganized. What they have in common is the antisocial personality disorder. So that's antisocial personality disorder and We're not here to diagnose anyone with anything that they haven't been formally diagnosed with by a clinician, but someone who, when we talk about Michael Turney, we hear that they can't really maintain relationships, that they come off as odd, that they are capable of harming other people. And he's been accused of doing just that, not just with sexual abuse, but with potentially murdering his own stepdaughter. And planning a mass murder. Right, that would that would result in the death and the harm of countless people. I guess that he would qualify as a weird word, but I think he's more like a psychopath than a sociopath. What do you think? Why do you say that? Because of the risk of violence. I think I feel like that a big distinguishing factor between socio and psychopath. No? Well what I was just saying is that psychopaths they're more likely to be able to feign normalcy and they're less likely to be in the path of criminal behavior. It's the sociopaths that live on the fringes of society and are more prone to taking alternative pathways to find their to not find their goals rather but to achieve their goals and that can be in the form of criminal acts. Psychopaths are better at coming off as normal. Not that they're not capable of violence and have committed acts of violence, but Sociopathy is more of a pathway to delinquency than psychopathy. So are there any other suspects in this case besides Michael Turney? Not that have ever been announced or speculated upon. He's the last person to see her. He gives unreliable accounts about what he was doing. He initially actually said that he picked Sarah up from school that day, which wasn't true. He also failed to inform his family that he had picked Alyssa up early from school that day. They didn't find that out until they watched an interview years later, and they could not figure out why he wouldn't tell them that. When someone is so inconsistent with their stories, you really have to consider why that's the case. It's just if you have nothing to hide, why would you lie? If you're changing your story constantly, it means that you're lying. Obviously, there are nuances to that. Like there are a lot of people who will say, oh, well, if one person is saying one thing and the other person is saying another, one of them must be lying. And that's not always the case. People can have different memories of how things went down. But when it's the same person, but saying completely different things to different people. In Michael Turney's case, sometimes he even told different stories to the same person. That's how inconsistent he was. That really kind of goes down the road of that person is being untruthful yes so he picks her up at 11 he says that they go out to lunch which is not confirmable we don't know where they supposedly went there's no nothing there's no evidence of that he says they get into a fight about her independence and they get home at one she storms off into her room and he leaves to give her space All that we really do know is Sarah's account, which is completely different from her dad's, by the way. He did not pick her up from school. He did not answer her phone call when she called asking where he was. She walked to a friend's house and he ended up picking her up at 7. So that is a time frame from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. on May 17th, 2001, that he could have murdered her and disposed of her and all the evidence. I mean, what we know for sure is that he's completely unaccounted for and can't explain his absence during that time. His insistence was that Alyssa was a runaway teen and he would have known what to say to law enforcement officials because of his background to make them not pursue finding Alyssa. So it's kind of interesting how his reason for why those two kind of separated for the day, fighting over her independence, completely contradicts his assertion that she ran away because if Alyssa was just you know planning on going to California and moving on with her life and not being under Michael's reign anymore why would she pick a fight about her freedom and her independence when she was pursuing that anyway why would she waste her time and better yet why leave without her phone and her savings yeah which were never touched and Michael Turney ended up transferring to a different account And any sign or indication of Alyssa, it's always Michael's word against nobody else's. It's very convenient that he is the only person that can say that he received a phone call from her later on. He has all this surveillance in his house, and yet he can't produce the one day that would actually be helpful to law enforcement. I think that there's a lot of evidence that he was very inappropriate with her, not only in the sense of the... Alleged molestation but also with the Pathological need for Dominance and control Sarah Recently released a video on YouTube Of Michael Turney Videotaping Alyssa at her job Working at a fast food joint You can see him from the Outside of the restaurant or I don't know if it was From the outside he could I think have, it was he was Zooming in and Alyssa's Talking to a co-worker she Spots him looks horrified and hides And then at the end of The video she comes out and goes you you know you got me in trouble my manager got angry that because you're not allowed to record in the restaurant and she's basically defending him she's saying he's my dad he's not going to do anything but my sense was that her boss was really creeped out and was kind of kind of using that as a crutch like listen this is the rule and he can't do this But honestly, he probably saw what her father was doing and thought it was creepy. And she was like, he's just wanting to document my first job. But that's not normal behavior. And unfortunately, it was for her. He was obsessed with her. I feel like there's no doubt about that. Anyone that was familiar with that situation, I mean, especially Sarah, will say that he was obsessed with their mother and then he was obsessed with Alyssa. My feeling is that she was murdered either because she... Threatened to expose him for all of the abuse, or if she just said anything that would take away his control over her. That really seemed to be central to the relationship, and she was getting older. She was on summer vacation. I think it's possible that he was really feeling like he was losing his grip on her. I think it's very likely that she could have threatened to expose him. Maybe he tried something on her and she rebuffed it and then said you know i'm going to tell someone or i already told someone and that's something that michael turney is never willing to admit to doing i feel like most people who molest children commit incest are unwilling to admit it they can't even like admit it to themselves sometimes right so she was going to expose him for what he really was and he couldn't allow that to happen what better motive is there I feel bad because I feel like our discussion is a little bit thin. Normally, when we're talking about cases, we have several people to discuss that might be of interest. Or several theories. Several theories. But what says it all about this case is that all roads lead back to Michael Turney and Michael Turney murdering his own daughter. Especially because he bought lie and acknowledges buying lie before like shortly before she disappeared. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's like this chemical that can dissolve anything, like including human bones. So I feel like it's unlikely that they'll ever find a body, unfortunately, or any remains, but I still feel like that they must have enough to charge him. So I just don't understand why not. Some district attorneys feel comfortable prosecuting a murder without a body depending on the level of evidence they have. There's so many different circumstances, so it depends on how much evidence they have. It depends on who the district attorney is. In this case, they do not seem comfortable doing so without one, despite the weight of the circumstantial evidence against Michael Turney. And I think it's probably humiliating and a failure when a DA fails to secure a conviction And I think that's what their focus is. I think they're so focused on the possibility or the probability that they will not succeed in convicting Michael Turney. And therefore, they're just waiting for Michael Turney to die and for this case, which will never happen. I don't think so. They just want this to go away. And what we're saying here today is that Sarah Turney and the army of people behind her are never going to let this go away. Today, Friday, July 26th, is the last day of Alyssa Turney Week. Let's flood the Maricopa County's Attorney's Office with calls on Alyssa's behalf. Please remain polite and pleasant with the assistant who takes your call. Ask Attorney Montgomery to charge Michael Turney with the murder of Alyssa Turney and remind them that the public is eagerly awaiting justice for Alyssa. The number is 602-506-3411. Also, the online petition for Alyssa is less than 2,000 signatures away from its goal. Let's blast it all over social media and reach that goal today.